0: What's going on, everybody? Mike Curlin here of the Bases Loaded Fantasy Baseball Podcast, and I'm stoked to be collaborating with Rotoballer again in 2021 with the Bases Loaded Podcast continuing as part of the Rotoballer Radio Network. Since 2013, Rotoballer has been grinding away, providing millions of fantasy baseball fanatics their fix for in-depth MLB analysis and player news. If you haven't heard, Rotoballer's 2021 MLB draft kit is live, and all Bases Loaded Podcast listeners can get 10% off Rotoballer's draft kit by using the discount code BasesLoaded. That's bases loaded, all one word. Rotoballer is home to number one fantasy pro's accuracy ranker, Nick Mariano. Nick's 2021 rankings and projections are available as part of the Rotoballer draft kit. Along with printable cheat sheets, our top draft sleepers, more than 300 2021 player outlooks, and all of this fantasy baseball goodness from Rotoballer is available for 10% off with the discount code LOADED. Just go to rotoballer.com slash bases loaded and get your draft kit today. The base is loaded and one out. Oh my God, deep to right field, way up there and way out of here. Second deck, walk off home run, Brad Slash. What is going on? Welcome into episode 144 of the Bases Loaded Fantasy Baseball Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Curland. You can follow me on Twitter at Mike underscore Curland. And today I am just giving you guys a brief overview of Anything I think relevant in terms of early lineups. Now, I'm going to say this <laughs> I'm covering lineups really in depth. I'm watching them daily. I've created a chart you can find pinned to my Twitter at Mike underscore Curlin. It has every lineup from every team. There's going to be color coding once we have a platoon situations going on. I'm going to be able to color code who's in what platoon and all that good stuff. But unfortunately, <laughs> It's so early in the offseason, there's very little to take away. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to breeze through a couple things, give my thoughts. I'm going to go through every team, and some teams have nothing to offer a couple of days in. Some, honestly, might have showed their hand really early. So we will get to that. I'll give my two cents on that. And, of course, there's going to be relevant news and notes that go along with some teams. So I will make sure I drop that news and notes as we go as well. Lastly, we will finish with the Twitter questions I was able to get on Twitter, which, again, always appreciate When you guys hit us with the Twitter questions, it does really help us out. So I guess we should just dive right into this chart. Let's start with the AL East and go with the Red Sox. Looking at the Red Sox, again, very little to take away. Something worth noting is Bobby Dalbeck getting work at first and third base over the first two games. I think he will be the favorite to enter the season as the starting first baseman. But it's still encouraging to see them trying to get him work elsewhere just so it makes him more usable and able to actually stick to the lineup a little better because the more positions you can play the more valuable you are to your team etc cetera, etc cetera. i think chavis might be the guy on the outside looking in not necessarily in terms of being sent down but in terms of being a bench bat i don't see much more out of him than being a bench bat we haven't seen some of the big names you know xander bogarts is actually dealing with a sore shoulder unknown how long it will keep him out it is said he should resume throwing soon And as of now, he is still on track for opening day. But the fact that we're having these questions already scares me. And I talked about it a little bit last night on the TGFBI live stream. I just think there's enough questions there to knock him down my draft board just slightly until we get more news or until we start seeing him trend towards playing. Because Bogarts is a guy that I was super high on. In 15 teamers, I was willing to take him in the back end of the second round. In twelves, he was an early third round pick for me. Now he falls behind guys like Seeger and Tim Anderson probably and that hurts me to say but I'm not just ignoring a shoulder injury especially for a guy that you know has to see how he recovers they they're not sure there's a lot of question marks and I've just learned to not necessarily take those question marks in drafts so bogart's is a guy that he's dropping down my list just a bit for now so it's definitely a situation to monitor a guy that I've obviously very vocal about being in on is Franchi Cordero. I honestly had no idea he was recovering from COVID up until a couple of days ago. And that's why he is late to camp. However, it is said he should report soon. So we will see how he slots in and if he gets every day playing time and how he, re- how he comes back, you know, recovering from COVID next team up is the blue Jays and the blue Jays were a team. I thought somewhat showed their hand in a sense. I know the first day of spring training had no Springer, Had no teoscar, but they featured a lineup that was still very realistic. Uh Simeon not leading off is realistic because of because of Springer. But they had Simeon and Biggio batting one and two, and they had Guerrero at five. And why that's a concern to me is because Springer is obviously going to move up to one. That means Simeon or Biggio will probably drop behind Vlad, but then you have Teoscar so does teoscar drop behind vlad does teoscar scoot in front of vlad does vlad hit sixth there's a lot of questions here i think vlad should probably be good there in the five hole but it is not a guarantee we need more information on that but it's something worth noting and paying attention to because if vlad falls to the sixth spot that's a pretty big you know hit not necessarily a huge hit to his value because hitting sixth in this lineup is going to be really good still but the lower you hit in lineup, the less of bats you get, less of bats you get, less less potential for production, et cetera, et cetera. So we will see how that plays out. And obviously the big one, who's going to stay at top of the lineup between Simeon and Biggio? Oddly enough, I'm more confident in Biggio because I think the on-base skills will play and that will. Honestly, I wish Biggio would lead off and the Springer would hit second, but that's another discussion for another day. We'll see. That might even play out that way. We don't know yet. Moving over to the Yankees. Again, not much to take away here. Team, we've yet to see Stanton Hicks hitting one lineup with all the backups. But then all, most of the stars were in another lineup. I think Hicks is a starter, but where he slots into the lineup is very much a question mark. Because LeMayhew's leading off, Judge second, Torres third, Stanton somewhere in the four or five spot, Luke Voit in the four or five spot. Does Hicks fall to six? Does Hicks bump everyone down a spot and slot in the second because he's an on base player, uh, a good on base type of player? So I don't know. There's a lot of questions there when it comes to Hicks and the Yankees. But the Yankees are just so star-studded from top to the bottom. Just such a solid team. We should see that lineup. We should figure that lineup out relatively quickly. Orioles, they're just throwing me off. Uh, <laughs> Cedric Mullins and Austin Hayes have both led off on different days. Both of what they're like alternating days. I guess that's how they're going to figure out who's going to win the battle there. Apparently, it's between Mullins and Hayes. Mullins got the start with I would say more of the starters. It was uh, day one, was had more starters in it. Second day, didn't have as many starters, but still had some. So it's h- tough to gauge who exactly has the the leg up coming out of camp, but it seems to be very much a competition. And because of that, is something worth monitoring because I'm an Austin Hayes guy. But again, another guy who takes a little bit of a step back until we get some more clarity on the situation. And some news on Mullins is that Mullins it did ditch hitting from the right side. He was a switch hitter. Now he's just going to go ahead and hit from the left side moving forward. Maybe that helps him. He w- he didn't have great numbers necessarily as a lefty, but now that you can focus, or I should say you, now that he can focus on hitting just from one side of the plate, you know that that could lead to better things because now he's just going to focus on being a left-handed hitter. The Rays are the Rays. It is hard to take anything away from what they do, but on the first day of the season, they faced a righty. And the lineup was Meadows, Orozrania, and Brandon Lau in the top three. And that is very much realistic, very, very much realistic in terms of what we could see play out into the regular season. And I'm not trying to sit here and tell you what the Rays are going to do because that is very, very difficult to do. However, that is still something that I think is very realistic for the Rays. Brissow actually played, or Brissow, excuse me, on his name. Um, He played both games. He played against a lefty and a righty. I'm starting to wonder if he's going to go ahead and get a chance to play every day. Cause we know he can crush lefties. And I think that bat can play against anybody. He hit fourth against a righty and seventh against a lefty, which is odd that way he would move up against a lefty, but we'll see how that plays out. Cause Yandi Yandy Diaz. Those are two guys that got early runs so far. Susugo also played both, both games. Margot got the start in center field day one, but that's because Kevin Kiermaier showed up with tightness in both hips. So he'll be easing the spring training action. Choi should also return today or or Wednesday as we are, uh, as I'm recording this, obviously today is Tuesday. So either Tuesday or Wednesday, Choi will be in the lineup more than likely. So it says moving over to the American league central, we have the twins, another team that kind of showed some of their hand, but like there's not, you know, there was no Jeffers, no Donaldson, no Cruz, no Arias in day one and day two. None of those guys played, plus Lawless the stars didn't play. So I can't even say they showed their hand, but I'm wondering if Garver and Jeffers, if it's more of a split situation. It, there was two righties so far, and all I can tell you is that the catcher hits second, regardless of who it was. It was the catcher position that hit second both days. And you got to think that's going to change. You know, Donaldson comes back. Cruz comes back. I'm not sure what that means for Polanco against righties. If he moves down in the lineup, he's I'm assuming he does as well as Suno and Buxton, et cetera, et cetera. Kriloff and Larnick are both play, have both played a game so far. Not sure if either are gonna break camp. I think we're I think rumor has it that both both, especially Kriloff, will start off in the minors, get the service time and then be back up. But we'll see Larnick is a guy that gets overlooked. And I think there's a similar ETA there or could be. Moving over to the Tigers, another team that's just tough to gauge much from. Grossman led off yesterday. So you gotta think he's gonna stick to the top of the lineup. Candelario has about second two straight days. So I think regardless of who they put around him, Candelario is probably married as two hole because then because you, you know you still have Miggy, you still have Ronaldo Nunez, Mazzara, Sh- Scope. Those guys can fit in around him back towards the mid middle of the lineup. Wilson Ramos has bat for, has hit fourth each of the last two days as well. Another guy I expect to stick to the middle of that lineup. But other than that, again, there's a lot to be determined there, and that obviously a lot to be determined is going to be common phrasing on this podcast because we're going to talk about two days of lineups, but I wanted to get some lineup talk out there. Cause I want to give you an idea of what to expect in season, because once we have lineups more established, this will be more of a, more of a sure thing type of podcast. It's going to offer, you know, news and notes on lineups. It's going to offer some injury news. It's going to talk about players moving up, players moving down trends like that. We haven't gotten to that part in the spring training lineups yet. So this is just more of an overview and thoughts of what I think could happen. the Indians, Mercado led off day one, but there were like no starters in that lineup. And then day two, there were far more starters. And they actually, I would say the Indians showed their hand on their top four, which shouldn't really surprise anybody with Cesar Hernandez leading off, J-Ram hitting second, Eddie Rosario third, Fran Mel Reyes four. Those top four seem very realistic. And it kind of goes from there. Naylor's been out dealing with a uh, minor injury Mercado got his reps, but with the backups, Bradley Zimmer got the start in center field with, like I said, once the starters in. So I'm wondering if Mercado, because he's supposed to be in for, you know, center field reps and starting a starting spot this year. I'm wondering if he's on the outside looking in, because, again, when you look at the players who started day one, I'd say majority of them were backups or just youth like Andres Jimenez. But it's also said Jimenez might start in the minors, you know, so they can get the service time, essentially. It So if you look at day two. When you have Roberto Perez batting fifth, that could honestly move down. Again, it depends on how much they're going to utilize Naylor. I think Naylor's a starter, but again, we haven't seen him yet because of the injury. But Naylor, maybe Naylor hits fifth, Perez hits sixth, Zimmer seventh. Bobby Bradley at first base seems realistic. I know Jake Bowers is fighting for that spot, but Jake Bowers is on the other team as well. I know I'm probably reading too much into it so far, but it is something that just seems very realistic. Day two compared to day one. I would like to see Mercado get some reps with the ones, so to speak. And obviously Jake Bowers, or Bobby Bradley. I think Bradley I think Bradley offers more upside. Bowers was a guy that came over from the Rays, offered a little bit of power and speed from first base, never really materialized. Bobby Bradley is very much like a 3 true outcomes guy, I believe, in the minors. You know, some guy, a big power there, but I think there's a lot of swing and miss in that bat, so you got to be mindful of that. And I'm at Rosario if he hits ninth, that would actually not be the worst spot for him. Sure, he wouldn't get the at bats, but I think he would run again, and I think he will get the chance to start while Jimenez gets seasoning in the minors because you know apparently he needs it, even though he showed out last year. But it is what it is. Can't control what teams do as much as you would like to. The White Sox again, not a, t- a team that didn't show much this in the in the spring training so far. Just guys getting reps. Something worth noting, though, is that Grandal did twist his knee during drills, and he should be fine. He is a ramping up and should return soon. Eaton and Mankata have both hit second. I think it's I think Eaton's hitting hitting second, and I'd rather it be Mankata, but it is what it is. I'm hoping Mankata earns it, but something tells me Mankata's gonna slide down to like the sixth spot, and Eaton's gonna sit there and slide into the two Royals. I couldn't find any news on Mondesi. He hasn't played either the first two games, either as Hunter Dozier, but I know Dozier was in contract talks, So maybe there's some contract stuff holding up Mondesi from playing. Maybe he doesn't want to get hurt while they're negotiating. I don't know. I just haven't read anything. I've looked for stuff. I, I can't find it. But I think we do have a top five here. And this is what concerns me about Mondesi. In day one of spring training, we saw Merrifield, Benintendi, Carlos Santana, and Sal Perez, and Jorge Soler all Start in the top five. That top five seems very solid. I think Modesty slots in sixth or seventh, even. I mean, honestly, Modesty could bat ninth to give him the double leadoff type of deal and the one in the nine. But I think Modesty could bat as low as seventh or sixth. And I don't think that's being talked about enough. I think people will just assume Modesty is going to stick to that top of that lineup. But I think Benintendi very much is going to have the chance to be there first. It's going to take Modesty earning his way up. That's my two cents. We'll see how that goes. Uh, We haven't seen a lineup with Modesty in it yet but something tells me we're going to see Mondesi move around a little bit in spring training, probably hit higher to start to get some reps in. Cause he's obviously behind for these first two games and go from there. But we will see the athletics. Very interesting. Pinders played both games so far. And I think we're going to see him bounce around during the regular season as well. He against a righty and a lefty. So normally platoons, we'll see if he actually gets a starting job or if he finds his way into everyday playing time because of his utility ability, Loriano and Andrews, hitting one, two in day one with Matt Olson hitting three and Chapman hitting four in day two, that could very well be your top four in a healthy lineup. Canna can figure in to that and maybe hit second with Andrews falling. But if Andrews hits second, that shouldn't really surprise anybody. And maybe he could bounce back to being the player. We knew him to be in Texas. I mean, he's always been a top of the lineup guy there, but maybe Andrews falls to like the ninth spot. I don't know. Cause they have like, they have Tony Kemp and stuff like that. So Andrews could very well be, you know, the two-hole hitter, Cana falls to the five. And yeah, there could be some very, uh, some nice deep league intrigue in Elvis Andrews. Definitely worth taking a look at. And obviously, Loreano leading off. The bounce back could happen. I would love to see it. The Mariners, when I say that team showed their hand, I think the Mariners literally said, here's our starting lineup. This is what we're going to go out day one and do. JP Crawford leading off. Mitch Hanniger batting second. Kyle Lewis third. Kyle Seeger four, Ty France in the five spot, Dylan Moore batting sixth. Although that's not fantastic. That's still okay because he's gonna, the pressure is not on him to be in the top two of the lineup. I think he moves up if people underperform or if he performs well, but his power and speed will still play from the sixth spot because there's still gonna be our opportunities. There's still gonna be opportunities to run. He just gets less at bats. So sure. It might knock him a little bit, but I still think there's something to like there with Dylan Moore, Evan White batting 7th. I think he's in for a bounce back as well. I'm big I like the Mariners. I always do for fantasy purposes. Tom Murphy batting 8th, and eh, whatever. I'm not a big Tom Murphy guy. I think Cal Raleigh comes up sooner than later. And then they also have um uh I have to look him up. Can't think of the name. Luis Turrens. That's right. He's the one I think could fight Tom Murphy for the starting spot at catcher. But right now I think it's Murphy's job to lose and fraley might be a thing 2 years later. They're a little bit power there, a little bit of speed there, batting ninth. That's a sneaky, deep, deep league guy, AO only type of guy. The bats should be there, at least at first. And, but the problem is, is we know Kelnick's coming up. Oh, sorry, Kelnick is coming up. That's how I believe that's how you pronounce it. So I believe Kelnick is coming up, and that job is his once he does. So I, it would take fairly being extremely crazy good to hold back Kelnick. But the team also wants to, you know get that service time. So maybe it wouldn't be so crazy to see Kelnick take longer than a month or so to come up. I would hate to say that. I would hate to see that, but it's very much possible. Moving over to the NL, the giants have given us nothing. (laughs) Um, They've actually had Slater. Austin Slater was actually pulled in the game from the game in day one with a hamstring injury appears precautionary, but it's something to monitor. We've yet to see belt Crawford or Longo in, in any lineup yet belt has actually been wiped out from a non-covid like illness so we have to see him recover from that we'll, we'll see how that goes dubon has now played center field and shortstop in two of the three games yes i'm saying that because the giants released their lineup really early this morning or late last night so the giants lineup as of right now suggests that dubon's in center field that's after playing shortstop against the lefty he's now played against the lefty and a righty hard to say what the deal with that, like if he's going to play every day, I know there's chances from the platoon, but I think he could bounce around and be an everyday player. It all depends on his production. Slater was a guy. I, again, going back to him, he he played. He started against the lefty, and then we haven't seen him since. But that's because of the injury. Just a bunch of situations to monitor. Solano's now hit, played two out of three. Are they just seeing what they have in them? Do they, they trying to get the bats for? Them? Maybe highlight them, showcase them to trade them. Who knows? Because Losells only played one out of three games at second base. I'm pretty sure still is a starter there. I feel very confident in saying that. Just again, something to monitor to see what they're gonna do, because again, the Giants have given us very little to take away. However, the Padres have given us a little more. Day one, even against the lefty, we saw Grisham bat leadoff. I think they're gonna give him a chance to show that he can handle leadoff against lefties, even. Although there have been reports saying other contradicting that and essentially that other players could move up and even platoon with Grisham. So we'll see what happens there as well. As well. But it's very encouraging nonetheless that he led off against the lefty. Tatis, Machado, fam. Those were, so that's how it fell. Grisham, Tatis, Machado, fam. Those were the top four. And that top four seems very solid and realistic on most days. Will Myers in the five spot, followed by Cronenworth and Kim. I mean, the only person missing there is Hosmer. And Hosmer didn't play against the lefty, so we got to see how that goes. I mean, I expect Hosmer was in against the righty the next day, batting second, but he was batting second with half these guys out. I don't think he'd ever bat higher than fifth but I think him and Myers in the five I think Hosmer in the five spot to give them another lefty after after all like the top five I think what Grisham's a switch hitter so after no sorry he's not a switch hitter Grisham is very much a lefty and um, Hosmer would be the only other lefty after him so I think putting him fifth makes sense Myers slides down Cronenworth and Kim are going to jump around which you've already seen Cronenworth out of the second lineup, but Kim getting his reps from DH in one day to shortstop the next. I think we'll see Kim play more days than not and bounce around. The Diamondbacks, I don't know what to do here. Um, <laughs> against the lefty, Calhoun hit fourth. And I know he usually was leading off last year, bank top two most of the year. But we saw Kitel Marte, David Peralta, Eduardo Escobar, and Calhoun be the top four against the lefty followed by nothing against the righty. Like only person that played against the righty was Christian Walker, who I expect to play against lefties and righties. We'll see about that as well. I mean, it's just such a weird lineup. Ahmed, uh, Ahmed Rosario, Nick Ahmed, the other Ahmed at shortstop, he hit fifth in that lineup against the lefties. But again, that was without Walker in it and such. So we'll see how that plays out as well. There's just so much. I keep saying we'll see how that plays out. Of course, we'll see how that plays out. That's the point of these of me monitoring lineups. But it's just frustrating because there's so much I want to see and I can't wait, and it's like, ugh, because there's so much information that's, like, teasing you but not sure about how it's going to fall out. And Marte played second base, by the way, for the Diamondbacks while leading off. And I love Marte still as a leadoff hitter. He's going to get the at-bats. He should get some stolen bases. That seems not that great. But Peralta and Escobar, Escobar is sneaky. He's due for a bounce back. And And anybody who's followed this podcast long enough knows I'm not an Escobar guy, but I sure as am good with him at his price this year considering what the stats you're gonna get from him. Those are stats that people like typically need late. RBIs, a little bit of power, not a not a batting average is gonna he's like a very poor man's uh chat Matt Chapman in terms of like less power. Batting averages could actually be similar and you know less a little less RBI, but still it's that skill set. Gosh, I, I would never in real life you can't comp Escobar to Chapman pretty much ever, but especially but fantasy is the most like that's why I said a very poor man's Matt Chapman. I feel gross for even saying that. The Rockies Tapia led off. That should be expected. You know they have they they seem. I think Tapia and McMahon are kind of like the two safer players there. I think we're gonna see a lot of McMahon at third and first. Tapia leading off. But I've been very anti. Hampson and i might need to think about this one because Hampson the reason for optimism he's played two straight games you think oh well there's been no story there's been no blackman in either game you would be right with that statement but the encouraging thing is is with blackman out Hampson isn't the one playing right field or left field it's been hilliard who's been sliding over to the right field and left field and the reason why i think that's a big deal is because they're keeping Hampson consistent in center and it could be Hampson's job to lose in center and Hilliard could be on the outside looking in, whereas I thought there was a chance it was going to be Hilliard with Hampson on the outside looking in. So Hampson getting the constant steady reps at center field can speak to good things for him in terms of playing time, at least starting the year because it's the Rockies that could that might not last long. And Brendan Rodgers is getting every bit of the chance so far to earn that second-base job. He's played second-base both games so far in spring training, a deeply guy worth targeting. The Dodgers... They're the Dodgers. You know you're going to get a solid lineup, top of the bottom. They've given us nothing. I don't expect that to change much. I've seen top four with Betts, Seager, Muncie, Turner in some order. They've, I mean, they haven't played all together yet, but those four make sense at the top with Will Smith in the five. And Bellinger needs a slot in there somewhere. Bellinger could start in the six, work his way up as he gets healthy, or just be slotted right in the middle of all that. But we've seen Bellinger fall in the past, so we'll see what happens when Bellinger returns. However, that's pretty much it for the Dodgers. The Cubs, there was like nothing to take away except for we know they're actually alive. There's, we know they're top five. We know Hap is already, he happened to need, or it was happened, it happened to be his day off when they played their first game. But according to the manager, uh, he will be leading off. He'll get the chance to lead off. He earned it last year. So we have Rizzo, Contreras, Jock Peterson, and Javier Baez with Ian Hap. That is going to be the Cubs top five in some order. It's just a matter of which. And Baez could fall as far as fifth, which isn't ideal. For a guy that I think that we hope for the at-bats, hope for the production to come from almost not compiling, but I think we want more bats out of bias than less, obviously. I mean, that's the case for every player. So it's a small dang news value, nothing crazy. The Reds, they did this last year. So far, they've given us two different lineups, two, two, uh, two days. Until like later on, we won't see much of a singular lineup. So there's little takeaway in terms of lineup, but Nick Senzel is said to be the starting center fielder. Akiyama actually left due to personal reasons and hasn't really given much in terms of a, a reason. I haven't seen any reports. So as of right now, he's not even in camp that opens up spots for other people to kind of take advantage of Uh winker. I, and obviously we hope, I hope nothing bad happened to him in terms of family or anything, but he's obviously, he's tending to a personal matter and, Again, Senzel is the everyday center fielder, at least according to reports. Winker was also scratched from a game with right hip soreness. Apparently, it's precautionary. Should be fine. Just need a monitor. The Pirates, it's just a gross team. <laughs> it's like it's almost not even worth looking at. There's not much there. They don't offer much anyway. Uh, Cabrian Hayes bat second. More at bats for Cabrian Hayes. Surrounded by Brian Reynolds and Kevin Newman. If Newman and Reynolds bounce back, Hayes will get that lineup protection he could, you know, it would that helps. And that would be really nice for his case because if you can give Hayes some lineup protection, he'll see better pitches and be able to maybe continue at least in part what he started last year. Kesson Hira is batting third for the Brewers like we sh- like he should. They haven't really given us much, you know, a lot a lot of the guys like Yelich is out, um Kane's been out. We've seen Avila Garcia lead off but that's more likely to be like a five hole type of thing for him going forward it's just again we're waiting to see more from the brewers because they haven't given us much the cardinals however another team i think showed their hand if there's a dh in the nl which doesn't seem likely likely at this point but still could i think we we see carpenter in the two spot dylan carlson fell to the seven because of this and if you think oh wow who hit in front of him well tommy Edman i think is staying atop that lineup paul goldschmidt Staying top three, Arenado staying top four, Paul, uh, Paul DeYoung staying 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 top five. They put Molina ahead of Carlson. I don't agree with it, but I can see it. And then Carlson at seven. Today we get another Cardinals lineup. Hopefully we'll see the starters back in there. But this lineup featured every single starter. Tyler O'Neill is batting eighth and Bader bat- hit ninth, and Carlson still hit seventh. But I think with obviously with Carpenter out, either a everyone moves up and, Dilson, and Dylan and Dylan Carlson going to hit sixth. Or B, Carlson could slot right into that two-hole. We will see what happens, but that was a little bit of a small red flag. I think Carlson's still good where you're getting him in drafts. Even if he hits seventh, it just we expect him to hit higher in the lineup. That's all. The Mets, Nimmo's been pretty much told that, or we've been told that Nimmo's probably gonna be a leadoff guy. We saw Nimmo Lindor and P. Alonso bat top three with JD Davis in the fourth spot yesterday. I don't there's again a lot of the starters weren't. I mean, we had McNeil out. Dominic Smith out, Conforto out, McCann out. We don't know what the lineup looks like any given day, so we're going to see quite a few probably. But it is said Nimmo will be leading off. How long that lasts to be determined. The Nationals, they are another team that might have shown at least their top six. Victor Robles might very well be the leadoff with Soto batting second because Trey Turner's in the three spot, and there has been talks of Trey Turner batting lower in the lineup. And by lower, I mean like in a prime spot like the three spot. And if that's the case. Soto will bat second. Well, Andrew Stevenson bat second day one. because Soto was dealing with like a minor injury after flying a ball off himself. He'll be back soon, but if Soto slots into the two-spot year, Victor Robles leading off, Soto batting second, Trey Turner batting third, followed by Josh Bell fourth, and Kyle Schwarber fifth, which puts Chris on Castro sixth. And Castro batting sixth behind Bell and Schwarber will offer a lot of RBI opportunity because although Bell and Schwarber are power bats, they also get on base a ton. So uh, Castro will be in a good RBI opportunity and just have a solid, just have a chance for solid production. A guy that's kind of overlooked in fantasy drafts. The Phillies haven't given a squat. There's like nothing to say here. I mean, we haven't seen Hoskins yet. We haven't seen Harper, Romuto. We saw McCutcheon play yesterday and Segura play yesterday, but Didi hasn't played. Like, there's been a lot of just inactivity so far. Maybe we'll get a better idea today. The Braves, kind of the same thing. Some players played one day, some players played another. Um, I think there's a small competition for the two hole. I think Ozzy Albies is the front runner for sure, with Swanson having an outside chance. But just something I want to monitor personally. I don't think I'm pretty sure it's Albie's spot to lose. Honestly, I just think that there's that weird, like random, like two percent outside chance that Swanson gets it, and I'm monitoring for that. But other than that, I mean, there's not much to really take away from there. And the Marlins, we're finishing on a strong note because I think the Marlins are a team that showed their hand. And again, there was like three teams that showed their hand. And I think Marlins were one of them. They had, yesterday's lineup had Corey Dickerson at the top of it, Sonny Marte batting second, Jesus Aguilar batting third, Adam Duvall batting cleanup. He's a really good value in early drafts, a solid power producer. And we don't get those that late. He's Not only he going to be a solid power producer, but he's getting a chance to hit in the middle of the lineup, which will be a good RBI production spot as well. So I think we see Adam Duvall climb up drafts a little bit and just becomes a solid fifth outfielder type. Brian Anderson batting fifth. He kind of did that last year. We know who he is. He's good, not great. He's just solid, just super, a super solid guy. You plug into your lineup, set him, forget him. Miguel Rojas batting sixth. He was surprisingly good last year, obviously, with the hit for the high average, but small sample. We'll see how that sticks. Isan Diaz played two games with Chisholm only playing one so far. Chisholm and Diaz are said to be in a in a competition for that second base spot, so only one will make the team, according to reports. We've seen Wallach. We've seen Alfaro. Alfaro's playing on the game, playing in the team with the team that again seems like the opening day type of team. And yeah, <laughs> he's starting. So hopefully he sticks with the starter spot. There's been talks of Chad Wallach being the starter, possibly at least a couple months ago. That it was there. So maybe that's changed back to Alfaro being the guy. And Brinson, he is a spring training stud. The guy who just crushes the ball. He hit a home run already this spring. He's projected to be starting right fielder at least right now but i think cooper could you know get himself in there cooper's also a guy who deserves playing time birdie he's just not gonna have consistent playing time it sucks like his his speed's really good and all that for fantasy but this team has plenty of options they don't need john birdie on an everyday basis so i don't think john birdie plays more than four games a week maybe without injury because he's gonna bounce around so yeah that's gonna do it for the lineups again very early takeaways But it's fun to watch. It's definitely interesting to see if we could pick up on some trends, pick up on some lineups, give you guys an advantage because with uh, some of the advantages you can get are finding some deep league sleepers. Like, you know, maybe Chisholm does end up getting the starting gig and hits decently in the lineup. We don't know. I doubt he'll probably hit bottom lineup, but you get my point. Probably a bad example, but you get my point. Just looking out for these guys that aren't going early in drafts. You're going to be finding like Ross Ross. Like if Nimmo truly sticks to leading off, again, he's just another year of Nimmo being a value. And there's just so ma- so much to take away from this stuff. So we'll get to it. I'll cover it for sure all through spring training and the season. So that's going to do it for the lineup takeaways. Again, we have uh, day three coming up today. Check out the chart. So let's get to those fantasy questions. Again, if you want to call in and give us your question at any time, please call this phone number and leave a voicemail. So you can, you can hear yourself on the podcast. It's 904-990-4833. We take your live voicemails. I actually have one to play today. We will finish with that one, but we also go to Twitter as well. So again, you can follow me on Twitter at Mike underscore Kerland or the Bases Loaded Podcast at Bases Loaded Pod, and you can give us your questions there. From John Fish on Twitter, in a five by five league with OBP and quality starts instead of average and wins, do hitters get pushed up over the aces? I asked because I got Cole at twelve, and that's a complete pipe dream in FBC leagues. I'm honestly torn, but I would say that I would think aces get pushed up even more, and I think yep. Toby actually agrees with me. He chimed in on this one. We had a little back and forth fun there because so I was like, "Hey, wait, still steal my question?" Um, but yeah, he I agree with Toby. Aces should get pushed up more there because quality starts are even harder to come by than wins, especially coming into this year. I would say so. I would rather have an ace. I think will get me some quality starts because I think that's a harder commodity to come by. Whereas when you have OBP, I think there's a lot of solid OBP guys throughout the draft. So I think hitters actually should get pushed down a little bit because, I mean, certain hitters come up, like Harper definitely moves up in ranks. Um, that's the first name always comes to mind. <laughs> Stuff like that. So, like, Harper, a guy like that. But then other players fall. Like, Lindor kind of falls in OVP because his OVP is not great. It's good. Stuff like that. So it's – you got to – honestly, the rankings change, but I think pitching should be pushed up more, or at least the same because quality starts are going to be hard to come by. From Justin Dowling on Twitter – how much would top catcher prices drop in a 15 team one catcher league versus two catcher i think they should drop a good amount personally because i think what drives catcher prices like romuto in the third or fourth is the fact that two catchers is harder to field i mean you want to stand out in the position sometimes you want to get that advantage so having a really good high end catcher in a one in a two catcher league can help set you apart whereas in a one catcher league there's room for error you can let them fall. There are like 30 catchers. I feel comfortable like drafting as a starter right now. It's crazy, but no, I shouldn't. Die. maybe like 20, but realistically, if you still want that advantage, you take it, but I'm willing to just, I've always been a catcher late guy. So I'm willing to wait and take the back or aim for like a McCann type or Gary Sanchez is falling. I'm good with taking a shot on him if I build for him. Right. So I'm okay with letting the top guys go, especially in a one catcher league compared to a two, but just, that's where I'm at in terms of catcher prices in a one catcher league. James F on Twitter asks $265 budget, five by five, 15 team roto. By the way, James, you crushed it starting off your question with all that information because that's super helpful. And um, he, I guess he has two first basemen, two third basemen, five outfielders. I guess that's what the outline is for the team. So I guess he's curious about Josh Beller, Austin Meadows for eight bucks or nine bucks. Bell being eight and Meadows being nine. I think, honestly, you have to go Meadows. You absolutely have to go Meadows. I think Meadows is in for a big year. He's going to – I'm really in on him, man. Um, Small sample alert. Very, very small sample alert. Man, he's had four bats. That is nothing. That is – you can't take anything away from that. What I'm trying to monitor from that is that from those four bats, he's walked twice, hasn't struck out at all, and hit a home run. Maybe he's healthy again. Who do you know? One a full off season, the obliques, the the oblique injuries behind him, the COVID is behind him. The top pedigree is still there. I think Meadows is very much in for the bounce back, and I'm monitoring his his production in spring. Not because I want I care about the production in terms of numbers. I care about the plate approach. I care that stuff. So I'm I'm really in on Meadows this year. I'm gonna have my fair share of him, and I think he's the keep here for sure. Jeff on Twitter: Rotation strategy question. I love strategy questions. We don't talk enough strategy on this podcast, and that's going to be changing. So yes, I love strategy questions. Sixteen team, eleventh year cap dynasty. Oh goodness. Um, daily rosters: Sixto Paddock, Kluber, Paxton, Montes, Garrett Obviously, plenty of injury risk. I've got Crochet and Pagan, and I'm planning for another ratio on adding another ratio RP. Can trade prospects for Ace later if needed. Is this viable? Uh, is this viable? The problem is, is pitching is inherently more risky in a 16 team league. This is actually a pretty good pitching staff. I would think, I mean, six stone paddock. There's just Paxton Kluber. There's a lot of, a lot of injury risk here. Montas obviously has his own uh, question marks, oh, man. <laughs> I, 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 <laughs> I don't know how to answer this. I mean, it's possible, but man. I would definitely not feel comfortable with this. If it was, uh, that's what you're asking. Of course it's viable. And yes, you like you mentioned, you could trade prospects for an ace later that might be what you want to do if you're if you're going for it because this pitching staff there's I have 0% confidence in it holding up throughout a full season and I do like the idea of like how you're kind of frankensteining a a, a good starter out of relief pitching to help with the like Gracio's and K's and such but if you really want to make a push if you think your team is like an ace away you really should make that trade for your uh with your use your prospects to make a trade for the uh the ace last twitter question After getting two SP in the first five rounds, how much should I wait for my SP three? I think that depends league by league, to be honest. I typically get, I'll get three in my first five rounds, even, but if I'm good, if I I do two in my first five, I wanna get at least an RP somewhere like in the sixth or seventh, probably, depending on who falls. And I try to have five in my first 10 rounds, four to five in my first 10 rounds. Again, depends on depth of league. And a 12 teamer, I definitely like to hit high end pitching because I think, there's, I think hitting depth is a little easier to come by. But i like to leave my first 10 rounds with probably five pitchers. That's ballparking it, but I'm pretty sure it's close to that number. It's a pretty much 50-50 split. So, yeah, I would say no later than round five or six for your next pitcher if you have two in the first five. And our final question is a voicemail question. I had a question in a dynasty league. I was wondering if you'd rather take Marcus Stroman or Denelson Lamette. Just made a trade Stroman for Lamette. I think the upside is higher. I think when you see Marcus Stroman, he's kind of too little. The to pitching was mid to late 30s, and you know, the numbers on Stroman have been actually kind of troublesome the past few years. want to know what you think. Who's better long term? Thank you. I really appreciate the question. I love hearing these voicemails. They're so much fun to get on the podcast. Um, in the future, leave any name and where you're from even. That would be great to know just where our listeners are listening from, but I do appreciate you calling in and leaving that Question, mystery caller. But I'm with you. I'm I'm actually a huge Strowman guy. I love Marcus Strowman. And DeLisleson Lamet has been a guy I've been fading all redraft season. I'm actually completely with you. I, you can't ignore DeLisleson Lamet's injury risk. But Strowman is a very much a good piece to give up for such a high upside player. Because although I love Strowman, I think Strowman's gonna have a good couple years still in him. I think he can take a step. I'm really big on him. I have him on a bunch of teams already. I plan on having him on more. But we're talking dynasty. We're talking upside. We're talking about a guy that honestly should be getting you more in return. So the fact that you landed him for just Marcus Stroman is great in terms of fantasy. And I think that's a great amount of risk. Like You're not giving up much risk in terms of player in in terms of Stroman to take on what could be an ace ceiling. It's just the only thing with Lamette is the injury risk we know the skill sets there we know the high strikeouts are there we know he could be such a solid guy but man you i think it's like a taking time bomb with the arm injury so i almost want to say if you can see if you can flip him for more or maybe wait until he has a strong spring training outing and dangle him out there man but i like the trade i think it's a good trade for you and i think it's the right amount of risk to give up and honestly most people wouldn't have given up Lamette for stroman so i think you actually got a good deal there And that's gonna do it for the podcast. I truly, truly appreciate all of you listening. Please, if you're still listening, hit us with a five star rating review. It is greatly appreciated. It goes a long way, helps with the exposure of the podcast. Again, you can follow me on Twitter at mike underscore curland. Check out the lineup stuff I have going on. It's pinned to my Twitter. Going to be doing weekly articles, tweeting about it all the time. So I'm always talking lineups and what to take and the takeaways from these lineups in terms of fantasy takeaways. So again, appreciate you guys all supporting the work. The podcasts will be a regular part of the rotation now in terms of covering the stuff. Don't be afraid to call that number again 904-990-4833. Leave us a voicemail and we'll and we'll play it on the podcast. But of course, as always, we appreciate listening and we'll talk to you